Welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crime, mystery disappearances, and unsolved cases. I'm Jasmine Hernandez, your host today. So, this last episode on Anand Saeed kind of took off, and we have a ton of new listeners. And I know that is kind of intertwined with uh, the big break that came in his case just this last week on Monday. So we are going to dive into part two of the Heyman Lee murder and the investigation of Anon Saeed. We left off where Anon was arrested and doing these in two parts kind of makes up for the different sides of this murder. You have part one where it's about Hay and her life and the things that led up right into the point where she got murdered. And then you have the other side of this, which is Anon Saeed's side where the case kind of revolves around him and it continuously does for years and years and years. And it goes back and forth. Is he guilty or is he not guilty? And that's what we're going to cover today is the arrest, the trial. I'm going to briefly go over the appeals, just kind of line them up for you guys. And then also go into the HBO series and the different things that kind of came from that. I also have some video clips then I'm going to put in their audio from that HBO series so you can hear them firsthand if you didn't watch that series. And then at the end, we will talk about the big break that happened this last week. This is 2022. This is Friday that I'm recording this on the 23rd. And there's a huge break this last Monday. So before we jump into this episode, we're going to go over our references. HBO, The Case of Anon Saeed, Serial Podcast Season 1, All That's Interesting, Pathios, and this is a blog by one of the ladies, which was Anand Saeed Rabi's, her take on Serial's episodes. Anand Saeed Wicca, Root Claim, Wikipedia, WSJ.com, Newsweek.com, and Biography.com. So we left off where Anand was arrested and his lawyer wasn't allowed to go into the jail. Now, after that, on March 31st, 1991, the courthouse was packed with people from Anand's Moscow, the Islam Society of Baltimore, and they raised tens of thousands of dollars for his defense. They were offering to put up their houses, their properties, anything to secure his bail. Anand's attorney during this case, the bail this is the bail phase, they were two guys named Chris and Doug. Chris remembers that busloads of people came in from Anand's side to this bail proceeding. They filled the courtrooms, the hall rooms. He said that he never seen anything like this before. Anon's attorney, Doug, stated at the bail hearing, many of the people here are people who you would almost say are like extended family. They they care for each other's children. It's one of the old-fashioned sense of community. So the people who are here in this courtroom represent the doctors, the teachers, the lawyers, the accountants, the correction officers, as well as three religious leaders whom are from different mosques here in Baltimore. So the community here, judge, the judge also says, like, kind of everything at first, that they committed themselves to this. They promised to vow that they will not only supervise Adnan should he be released and set bail, but they will also at the same time accompany him to court as well to make sure that they come. Now, you would think, okay, all they have is this, this circumstance evidence they're, they're going to give him bail. Well, after Doug is finished, the prosecutor, Vicki Wash, took to the same crowd. The people Doug was describing as solid, respectable folks who made sure Anon did the right thing are the same people who are likely to help Anon run away to Pakistan. 
and that's why he shouldn't get bail. She addressed the judge, Your Honor, the fact that the defendant has a strong support from the community is what makes him, in this case, unique. He's unique because he has unlimited resources. He has the resources of this entire community here. Investigation reveals that he can tag resources from Pakistan as well. It's your position, Your Honor, that if you issue a bail, then you're issuing him a passport under these circumstances to flee the country. We don't want another Shabine situation, Your Honor. This is a pattern in the United States of America where young Pakistani males are being jolted. They commit murder and then they flee to Pakistan. And we haven't been able to extradite them back. He gave me, and she's talking about another lawyer, but it comes back that she's lying about all of this. But she says, he gave me a, a, a certain instance that occurred now. It was occurring during that time in Chicago where it was a pattern almost extremely similar to this one. And again, it was a young Pakistani male who jolted by his girlfriend, fled the country, and then they had to basically try and extradite him back, but it was to no no success. He indicated that it would be a dim situation indeed if the defendant would flee to Pakistan. We have information from our investigators that the defendant has an uncle in Pakistan. And he was in de- he basically was saying that he can make people disappear. Ultimately, this is what caused Anand to be denied bail. Now, before we continue with this, she ended up addressing the, the judge later, saying that she had misinformation and the information that she had was incorrect and that Anand didn't have an uncle in Pakistan that can do all of this. He, he was born in the United States. He grew up in Baltimore. So that was just a whole nother thing. And Anand's family felt like they used his religion and their background against them in court. But they didn't come outright and say, he's Pakistani, he's Muslim. That's why he did this. So it was a weird situation. Now, Anand prepared for his day in court. On December 15th, 1999, trial started. The Saeed family hired um, Christina Gutierrez to represent Anand. She was a strong fierce, well-known attorney. And during the trial, it is like they had they had certain evidence and we'll go through that. But one of the most incriminating pieces of evidence that they tried to use in this trial was Anand's fingerprint. It was on a map that police found in the backseat of Hayes' car. It was kind of on like a partial side of the thing. Like if he like picked it up at some point, it was just one one little left thumb print. See, one of the pages was ripped out from the map, and at trial, they pointed out that this page showed Lincoln Park. The defense argued that you can't put a timestamp on fingerprints and that Anon had been in Hayes' car many times. He drove her car. He's ridden her car. All of their friends knew it. It's not something that was a secret. And the ripped out page showed a lot more than just Lincoln Park. It showed their whole neighborhood, the schools, the malls about 90% of where they drove, and that page didn't even have Anand's prints on it. He's not the one that ripped it out. His palm print was only on the back color cover. Plus, there was also 13 other unidentified prints that, tr- that turned up on this map book. None of them match Anand, or for that matter, even Jay. So the prints, you, you can't say you have prints when there's like there's things that go for those prints, but to each their own. Now, the second piece of evidence, which happens to be a small one, but kind of a big thing, and this is what makes Anand's case very wishy-washy, is there was a call log that Anand had for Anisha, but 
The time that the call log came through was a little tricky. Between noon and 5 p.m. that day, there were seven outgoing calls. Six of them are to people that Jane knows, but the seventh was to Nisha. She was only known by Adnan. Nisha's stories that he Nisha's stories that he called and that they talked, but we'll get to like what she says later. But Anon said that he didn't have his phone and they, the phone and him were separated that entire day from lunchtime all the way until he was done with track around like five. But the Nisha call happens at 3.32 p.m. Smack dad in the middle of the afternoon when Anon doesn't have his phone. In Jay's taped statement, he tells the detective that all of those phone calls between three and four o'clock, like he's at the detectives asking him what, what happened there. And Jay says they were driving all around Forest Park and Edmondson Avenue looking for weed. The detective then asked him, did anyone use the phone? To which he says, yeah, um, Anon. I can't remember whether he received a call or placed a call, but I remember he was talking to a girl. I can't remember her name, but he put me on the phone for like three minutes. I said hello to her. Um, the detective goes, where does she live? And he goes, uh, Silver Spring, I think. And then he goes, do you recall her name? No, I don't. Do you have any idea why Anon would call this individual in Silver Spring after he had just strangled his girlfriend? I don't. And I have no idea why he'd call or the conversation. It didn't pertain to anything that he just did. Now, the cops did go and talk to Anisha and she was a high school student. She knew Anon. She told them that it was a little hard to recall but she remembers him telling him that Jay invited him over to a video store that he worked at. And basically, well, Anon walked in with his cell phone and then he was like, hey, talk to Jay. And she was like, OK, because Jay wanted to say hi. So she said hi to him and that's all that she can remember. Now, that was Nisha's testimony at the first trial. But there, this is where like there's a big red flag in what Nisha said in that call. She said that Anon walked into a video store. But Jay didn't have the job at the video store until January 13th. And Jay didn't start working there until like the very end. And that that's where it gets a little tricky. And this is kind of going to lead into another part in a different spot in this case. And then there is the prosecution's timeline of the crime. When and where Heyman Lee was killed. The state said that Hay was killed between 2.15 and 2.36 p.m. at the Best Buy parking lot, about a mile from Woodland High School. That's the 21-minute window in which the murder was committed. But Anon wrote Sarah from Serial um, this whole like list of how that can't be true. He basically wrote, it's virtually impossible if you consider the following facts. And he listed them. For example... When the final bell rings at 2.15, you can't just leave and get in your car. He said that there's 1,500 other students filling the hallways of a four-story building. Then you get out to the parking lot, but the parking lot is an encircle by the bus stop loop, and you can't just get in your car and move. You have to wait till the buses fill up and then leave. What she wrote takes about 15 minutes. So... The timeline and Sarah and another person go through and try and like recreate this entire timeline. And when they do, you literally have no room for mistakes, no room for nothing. You have exactly boom, 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 boom. That doesn't like really contribute to the fact that maybe, hey, when she went to the concession stand that day, 
if she talked for a minute. She literally had to get in, get out, go, boom, boom, boom. But at the congestion stand, the lady also said that she didn't see a non there. So it kind of makes you wonder when he could have get, gotten in the car, but still being on that timeline. So if you're interested in that, go back and listen to Serial because it's a whole episode about the timeline. They recreate it. They also recreate Jay's entire story of the entire day. So it's pretty interesting what they do there. Now, at trial, the prosecution team makes it very clear that the 236 call is the come and get me call. I'm at Best Buy. Jay, though, he never says that this this call is that call. He says that. In fact, it was at a whole different time that Anon called him. He told the cops and he told the, the court that at 340 or 345, that's when that call happened. Jen also says that that's about when Jay left her house that day. But the issue is there's no incoming call at or near the 345 call on the log. So the prosecution team has to go with the 236 call because it's the only one that sort of lines up with Jay's story with the call logs. Kevin Urick addressed this head on in his opening statement to the jury. He told them, look at the big picture. The main plot points in Jay's story have been consistent. He tells them that Jay has consistently given the same story about what the defendant did. He consistently tells tells Jennifer a consistent story. He tells the police a consistent story about the defendant. He tells consistence of the defendant's involvement, the defendant's actions of the day. He never wearies from that point. In Jay's statement, while the particular events shift a little bit, the spine of his story didn't. Anon told Jay what he was going to do. Anon showed him the body. They buried her in Lincoln Park and ditched her car. Jay has been consistent on those points. But when Christina Gutierrez cross-examines Jay, she pointed out that he lied to the detective about various things, including the location of where he says Anon showed him the body of Hay. And this is what he tells the court. I told him the truth. I did not show them the location that was true. Yes, I told some lies, but I told the truth. Overall, I told the truth. Now, there ends up being a second trial in January of 2000. This was because the first trial actually got declared a mistrial. There was a piece of evidence that the prosecution team wanted to show the court, and Gutierrez said that she had not seen that page. She she didn't see it. And the judge basically was like, you did. And she's like, no, I haven't seen that. So the judge asked all the lawyers to come to the bench. They agreed. And the judge basically tells her that she's lying, that she's a liar. And after they go to break and come back, Gutierrez asked for a mistrial. She she doesn't want to do this. And the judge said that he got a note also from a jury number. It was number four. Um, and it said, in the view of the fact that you determine Mrs. Gutierrez is a liar, will she be removed? Will we start over? And in this case, the judge had to grant a mistrial. Now, in trial two, the defense's strategy kind of remained the same as they felt like the first trial was going really well and they had a chance to win it. They they had so much there and they can tell um, from what the jurors said afterwards that they didn't think Anon did it from what evidence was produced at that time. So that's where it gets a little wary. That that could have been his breaking point. See, the defense's strategy was to show that someone else killed Hay, that Anon didn't do it. And during the second trial, it takes some time, but 
Gutierrez, she gets Mr. Sellers on the stand. And you can go and listen to his kind of testimony. Um, it's all over the internet. But you can tell he doesn't want to be there. He's upset. Anytime she asks him a question, he rebuttals back. He's very aggressive. And it is said that the court staff had to prevent him from leaving. So it, I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. But Christina didn't care. She didn't care about Mr. Sellers. She didn't think that he had anything to do with this. Her main focus was Jay. And at the second trial, Nisha's phone call comes back up. And this is what Nisha tells the court this time. She starts to answer the question that Yurik asked her. She says, basically, Jay had asked him to come to an adult video store that he worked at. But then Yurik interrupts her and he says, no, don't tell us the contents of the call. And this is where it's like he doesn't want her to say that it was at the video store because that doesn't make their story right with this timeline. So then Nisha says, "Okay, well, he asked me how I was doing, et cetera. And then she goes on and she doesn't mention the video store again. She said that he just wanted her to say hi and la da 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 Now, the prosecution team was heavily relying on these phone calls and the phone records to collaborate Jay's story for the day. And this is where it's anything that didn't fit in their little bubble, they had to take it out. And the error in the defense's case with Christina Gutierrez is that she didn't make any argument towards the cell phone records. All she did was that the state expert that he tested the site and it wasn't valid because he used a different brand of phone than Anon had. But she didn't do anything with the cell phone evidence. She didn't She didn't use it against the state for their timeline. Call by call, tower by tower, it pointed out that there was no way that this happened and the hours didn't match up to Jay's story whatsoever. But she didn't try to do anything with that. Which I feel like that's one of the biggest cases in this and what we're seeing to this day with this entire case is that Jay's story didn't match the call logs. The call logs shouldn't have even been used. They, it even said on the cover sheet that the call logs for incoming calls are like they're not valid. Like those are valid. But the out. No, sorry. The calls coming in are not valid, but the outgoing calls are because it's picking up on the correct tower. So one, call call records don't even matter. But two, if they would have gone and tried to run the same route that Jay is saying, they would see that there's absolutely no way that that could have happened. Jay's story is missing in so many places, but Gutierrez didn't try to do that. And by the end of the second trial, Anon ended up deciding to fire her. He said that he loved what she was doing for him, but there is an instance that he gave her a letter from a lady named Asia and Gutierrez didn't follow up or when she did, she didn't do it correctly, but we're going to get to those letters down a little bit later into this. On February 25th, 2000, Anand Saeed was convicted of the murder of Heyman Lee. The proceedings took about six weeks, but the jury deliberation only took two hours. And Anand said that he's going to be all right. He has faith in the Lord and he knows he didn't kill her. The Lord knows I didn't kill her. Now, at his sentencing, his attorney was Charles. And he's the one that replaced Gutierrez after everything that happened. And he's the one that pleaded with the judge to reduce the sentence. Anand said that he has maintained his innocence from the beginning. At the trial, Lee's mom ended up talking. She gave a help. Uh, 
heartwarming testimony through an interpreter because she didn't speak English very well. She explained that her hardships from immigrating from Korea were necessary to provide for her family with a better life and to give her children a decent education and a decent future. I would like to forgive Anand Saeed, but as of now, I don't know if I could, she said. When I died, my daughter died with me. As long as I live, my daughter is buried in my heart, and she nearly collapsed when she left the stand. She did end up having to be escorted out. It, it was a huge ordeal. And Anon writes one of their friends that he still keeps in contact with and basically said that he didn't expect for her to be there or to speak at that matter. And when she did, it just crushed him. Now, this is when we're going to get into those letters. Anon's defense attorney was in high gear and they made a shocking discovery. Anon had an alibi. During the closing arguments, the prosecution team stated that Hay would have been murdered within 21 minutes after school finished to make Jay's story plausible. See, Anon told Robbie that one of his classmates wrote him a letter that stated she remembers speaking to him in the library on the 13th. He told her that he gave these letters to his lawyer and she told Anon that she spoke to Asia and the dates were incorrect. So Anon never brought it up again. He thought, oh, maybe he doesn't have a really good memory of this time. The biggest flaw in this is that that would have placed Anon somewhere else and not with Hay. There was just one issue. They needed to find Asia. Anon's lawyer had Asia's letter and an affidavit and set that out to find her. They hired a private investigator to locate her, but they returned with bad news. She wouldn't testify. The PI never spoke to her, but they spoke to her fiance. And it was very clear that Asia didn't want to be involved and to leave her alone. This was devastating to Anon. All of these years have passed and hope that when the post-conviction came around, Asia would basically say that this is her letter, this is her affidavit, and he would be given a new trial. As the case started to grow, Asia started to grow curious, as one would, and she ended up calling Yurik. He was the prosecution team. She felt like he would tell her the truth, and she trusted that he would do the right thing. She recalls when she spoke to him, he told her that they had witnesses, they had DNA evidence and cell phone records that made it an airtight case and that she wasn't needed. She even recalls that Yurik told her, if I didn't believe that he did this, I wouldn't be going through with this. And it wasn't until Asia heard Yurik's testimony on the stand that she made contact with Anand's lawyer. See, Yurik told the court that Asia told him that she was pressured by the Saeed family and she didn't see Anon that day. See, Asia was super upset, as that's not what she said. When Asia spoke to Anon's lawyer, she told them the conversation that she had with Yurik and that she was not pressured. She didn't know that she was his alibi. And seeing her make that, the timeline of the case incorrect, she wrote a new affidavit. Now, I'm going to insert a clip right here, because this is going to be an important part from the HBO series of what Asia says relating to all of this. I swear to the following under penalty of perjury. I did not write the March 1999 letters or the affidavit because of pressure from the Saeed family. My only goal has always been to provide the truth about what I remember. We could have been doing this years ago, but because of his actions and the way that he talked to me, you know, he convinced me to stay out of it. Honestly, it, it pisses me off. Um, it makes me hate myself for allowing him to manipulate me in that way. 
You see, Asia did remember seeing Anon that day. They spoke for a bit, and he was going to track practice. In her affidavit, she said that she and Anon spoke for about 15 to 20 minutes while she was waiting for her boyfriend to give her a ride. Quote, we left around 2.40, unquote. Hay was supposed to be dead by 2.36. She says, no attorney has ever contacted me about January 13th, 1999, and the above information. In 1999, Anon and Asia didn't realize that these details or events would be so important because they didn't know when Hay was dead or the time of her death. So let's say that Anon never actually showed Christina Gutierrez these, and that's why Asia was not asked to testify. But deep inside Gutierrez's notes on the case in her handwriting, she says, Asia plus boyfriend saw him in library 215 to 315. Then there's another note dated January 13th. It's more than four months after Anon was arrested. One of Gutierrez's law law clerks wrote this, who basically they visited Anon in jail because Gutierrez didn't. Asia McLean saw him in library at three. Asia's boyfriend saw him too. Library may have cameras. See, it came out later that the detective in this case was known for like coring people to not talk about anything. He had a history of cases where he would use witnesses that didn't actually see nothing and make them say that they did and basically would would tell them that if you don't do this, this is going to happen to you or this is going to happen to you. There was multiple cases where this happened in this time, which makes it very hard to deal with all of the stuff around the Asia. Now, as we go through the appeals, I just have them listed out. Um, there's so much that has happened from the time that Anon was convicted to just recently. So I just want to kind of skim through those so we don't make this episode super long. But you can listen to all of this on Serial or even listen to it on Undisclosed. Um, those are two podcasts that cover this story very in-depth with a lot of details. So I'd recommend if you want to know more about the little details, the nitty-gritty, to go and listen to those. On March 19, 2003, Anand Saeed's appeal was denied. Sayad's for- first appeal was denied by the Court of Spe- Special Appeals. On December 30, 2013, Anand's petition for post-conviction relief is denied. After the hearings in the circuit court between November 2010 and October 2012, Anand's pe- petition for post-conviction relief is denied according to court papers. Um February 6, 2015, Anon can appeal the post-conviction relief denial. Um, Anon is given a, a chance to overturn the Baltimore City Circuit Court ruling that denied him post-conviction relief thanks to Maryland's Court of Special Appeals. November 6, 2015, the post-conviction relief case is reopened. The case is reopened to take into the account of Asia's new testimony, the new cell phone data, and the alleged, the alleged conviction of ins- basically saying that Christina Gutierrez didn't assist him properly, as well as the misconduct from the prosecution team, according to Harper's Buzz. February 2016, the hearing takes place. The five-day hearing includes witness testimonials from Asia and a cell phone expert, basically saying that they didn't see the cover of the first um, documents that says that those weren't accurate readings, that they were just from the billing department. So he goes back on trial. June 30, 2016, Anon is granted a new case. Justice Martin Welch vacates their original conviction, saying that there should be a new trial. However, Anon is not allowed out on bail while he waits for the new trial. He ends up waiting more than two years. 
March 8, 2019, the trial is then denied. In a twist of events, the Maryland Court of Appeals voted a 4-3 to reverse the decision denying a new trial, saying that there is not a significant amount of possible evidence that the verdict would have been any different. The evidence that they have doesn't show that they, he would get a different um, conviction, basically, is what they said. And this was a huge, from 2016 on, this was a huge thing that I really followed. When he was awarded the new trial, we were all super excited and then this happened. In 2019, August 19th, basically the Supreme Court is asked to re-examine this case. Anon's lawyers asked the nation's highest court to look into reversing this decision. November 15, 2019, the Supreme Court rejects the bid for a new trial. Without comment, the Supreme Court decided not to open a new trial. They're deeply disappointed by, basically Anon's lawyer says this, we are deeply disappointed by the Supreme Court, but by no means is, the, is this the end of Anand Saeed. His attorney, Justin Brown, told AP at the time, there are other legal options and we're exploring each and every one of them. Family, friend, lawyer, basically Robbie, that he's hanging in there. He knows that none of us are giving up, basically. He has a great legal team. He has a lot of public support and we're walking away is basically not an option. They are not going to walk away from this. Now, this is where the HBO series starts to come into play. And we're going to go through that. I just, I, I want to make it very clear. And there's so much information between the conviction and the appeals to where we are now. So I'm stressing heavily if you want all of that information, because it's a lot. It's so much. And it really helps you understand everything. Serial does a good, a good time of walking through it. But Undisclosed comes from... Um, Anon's family friend, she has a podcast and she goes into the nitty gritty of everything. So if you want to have multiple episodes just on this one case and really get into it like I have and like many of the nation has, please go to either of those podcasts and listen to them. They have a great way of breaking down every piece of evidence. So I highly recommend it as well as the HBO series. <sighs> this 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 one rocked my entire brain of what we're about to get into right now. So stay tuned. During the HBO series, we heard different sides of this case from Jen, from Christy, from all of Hayes' friends. But the one that sticks up the most to me is from Jen and Christy. Now, at court, Jay tells police that he was at Christy's house before picking up a non. And Christy argues that that was incorrect. She states that in her interview... That her copy was wrong, too. She said that she was unsure of the day, but the police told her that it was the 13th. So before I insert that clip, basically, Jay says, yeah, I was at Christy's house and then I got the call to go pick up Anon. And then we came back to Christy's later. But the issue with that is Jen also says that Jay was at her house and they were playing video games and he got the call to go pick up Anon. But Christy said that, that that's almost impossible because she, Jay wasn't there and then came back. But Jay needed to say that for their evidence of the cell phone records. So I'm going to insert Christy's clip right here where she tells you herself on those accounts. That night, did you get some visitors? Yeah. And approximately what time was that? And who were your visitors? Jay, that was last 
I wish they would have taped me from the very beginning. What would we have heard different? Not, you know, I think you probably would have heard a lot more indecisiveness on my part. Not, I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, more like that. Then I kind of sound like I have all the answers in that copy. When that day came up in conversation, did you remember that it was the 13th of January? I don't think I remember the specific date, no. Somebody told you that day, did they not? I think it was Detective McGillivary. You couldn't tell us whether these events took place on the 13th or in some the 12th? No. Except that I had a conference that day. That's the only other way I know. Now, when the PI confronts Christie's schedule, because if you heard at the end, she says she had a conference that day. Now, when they confront her on this, they show her that she had class every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And she tells them, if I had a winter class, then these events didn't happen on the 13th. I wouldn't have been able to miss class. See, Christy had a really good grade in class, and she said that if she would have missed, she wouldn't have had that grade. There's no way. Now, Jen is equally as confused because the one thing that sticks out to her that also sticks out in this is that she didn't realize all of the different stories that Jay told, all of the lies that he said. He told the, the prosecution team that she picked him up from his house, and she said that that didn't happen. She didn't pick him up from his house. She remembers vividly that basically he paged her. It was a a weird page. She didn't understand it. So she turned around and called. Someone answered and said Jay's busy and that he'd call her back. Jay calls her back 30 minutes later and she goes and picks up Jay at the mall. And Anon's there. And she says that Jay has her drive to the back because they use shovels when they killed Hay and he needs to wipe the prints off. And then as you're going through this series, she's just like, that doesn't even make any sense. How did I believe that? Why would he let Anon use his, his shovels if he didn't have anything to do with this? Why, why would he put himself in that position? She's going through all these things. And then at one point, she gets so upset. She's like, I wish I would have never done this. And that's what happens when you're hearing this story over and over and over. And that is your truth. But then you're hearing everything else. And it's making you question what's real. And that's something that Christy says is you're questioning what happened in your life based on the accounts of these other people. And you, d- you don't even know if it's real or not. Now, authorities initially considered a possible connection between the, the murder of Heyman Lee and another 18 year old girl from Woodland named Jada Lambert, who basically she was found strangled in the, wheel- the wilderness about a year prior. And that has always been something that I always thought about. It was the connection is so similar between these two cases. Um, After years of research, the private investigators also blew that there's two more other possible suspects in this. In the HBO docuseries episode four, evidence is found when trying to look into other possibilities, other suspects. And I'm going to insert that clip right in here now for you guys to listen to and hear it straight from their mouth. I'm popping in here after already recording all of this. I tried to enter a clip from the HBO docu-series for Anon Saeed, and it's not wanting to upload in here. I've spent the last two hours trying to get it to work, 
but I am going to add it into our Instagram this morning as soon as this episode is released. So please go to Murder by Nature on Instagram and check out that clip. You are not going to want to miss it. Now, one thing that sticks out to me is there was 12 samples of DNA that were taken from the scene and from Hayes' body. But through all of that, nothing was matched to Anon. Nothing that the police collected could link him to Lincoln Park or to Hay that day. The police had a solid fingerprint from the rearview mirror, but when they ran it against Anon's, they weren't a match. And I think that's one of the biggest issues is they only honed into Anon. They didn't care about anyone else. And we see this with Dawn, Hay's actual boyfriend. Hay spent the evening before she disappeared with Dawn. And she was supposed to be meeting with him up after school. Debbie, one of Hayes' best friends, she reached out to Don by email to discuss Hay and if he knew anything about her disappearance. And Debbie says that when they started an email, then they moved to phone calls. And then during spring break of 99, she expressed that she was going to be going towards kind of where they were for um, spring break. Her sister was in college over there. And Don expressed that he had a romantic interest in her. She tells HBO producers that she just went for it and she let him know that she doesn't do the whole sex thing like he did. And to me, that's really weird. A few months after your girlfriend is murdered, you start dating her friend, her best friend, her best friend. In 2018, the prosecution team made a deal with Anon's team. It was that he would plead guilty, serve four more years, and then would be released. Anon ultimately declined that, that deal. He said, no, he's innocent. In September of 2022, Anon was granted a retrial, with the DNA evidence being heard in the court for the first time. This new evidence would shed light on the other suspects that could be responsible for Heyman Lee's murder. The article released information that stated, the state will request that the defendant be released on his own recognition or bail, pending the investigation should this court grant the instant motion. Keeping Mr. Saeed detained as we continue to investigate the case with everything that we know now when we don't have confidence in the results of the first trial would be unjust. The prosecution team said in the court filing Wednesday that there's evidence suggesting two other suspects that may be involved, either separately or together. The suspects were known at the time of the first investigation, but they weren't properly ruled out, the prosecutor stated. Basically identifying the details of the two suspects their names, everything's being withheld because the investigation is considered ongoing. References to the suspects were named throughout the motion, but prosecutor didn't state which suspects they were referring to. In their reinvestigation, prosecutors found a document in the state's trial file detailing one person's statement saying that one of the persons has, one of the per- suspects basically, had motive to kill Miss Lee and had threatened her in the presence of another person. The suspect said he would make her, hey, disappear. He would kill her, according to the court filing. The information was never given to the defense, the filing said. Prosecutors are required by law to give defense counsel basically every piece of evidence upon request. The reinvestigation also revealed that the grassy lot where Hayes' car was found in Baltimore was located behind a house that belonged to one of the suspect's relatives. Furthermore, including one of the suspects without provoke or excuse, attacked a woman he didn't know while she was in her vehicle. One suspect was accused and later convicted of rape and sexual assault. Both instances occurred after Anand's trial, prosecutor said. 
but they added that they found the information relevant given the possible involvement of the suspect. On September 19, 2022, Anand Saeed was vacated of his charges. The prosecution team must now either dismiss the case altogether or go for a retrial. They have 30 days to decide from that day. And I will be updating this once we get that, once we get all that information on a podcast or TikTok. So stay tuned for that, because this is a huge thing. Anon has been in jail for so long. He's missed so many, so many things. And there's all this information that they didn't care to give the defense. And I get it. Like the prosecution team wants wants their case to be solved. They want to solve it. And the issue is they honed in on one person, just one person alone, and didn't care about any of the other evidence that was out there. They didn't care about nothing. They had the statement that someone threatened to kill her, and they still didn't care. Anon has no evidence that goes to him, no credible evidence that links him to this case. Yet he's the one that spent 23 years, 23 years, 23 years in jail for the Heymanley case. So once we have, if they're going to dismiss the case or retry it, I will give that update and let you guys know. Now, my thoughts are and always have been that Anon is innocent in this case. There's too much evidence that points out to the fact that he didn't do this. There's too much from the state's case that points out they didn't even care about the other person that could have done this. All they cared was that the fact that a, and I'm going to say this because this is everything that's in there, a male Korean man called in and gave a hint to look into Anon and no one else mattered from that point. There's too much evidence that points to the fact that this could have been Don. This could have been Sellers. This could have been so many people and they just didn't want to care. They wanted their their evidence to be what it was and someone lost 23 years of his life because of that. And that is just super sad. Well... As much as this has a happy ending right now at this point, at this day, and I cried when I heard that, this is the end of this episode. As always, thank you for listening to Murder by Nature. If you enjoyed our show, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any streaming platform that you're currently on, and be sure to come back next Saturday for our new episode. Until then, I am your host, Jasmine Hernandez. Don't forget to stay safe. Don't get murdered or murder people, you lovely humans. Have a wonderful Saturday.